How many of you have ever seen the movie uh, Night at the Museum? Okay, a lot more than the people who watch This Is Us. Excellent. We're off to a good start. So you've seen the movie Night at the Museum. It's a, um, it's a great movie, I think. It's a movie about a single dad doing the best he can to raise his son. You know, he had recently been through a divorce. He's having a hard time. He can't hold a job down. He keeps changing jobs over and over and over. And so finally, he lands this job as a night security guard at a museum. Remember this? And, and so uh, when he first, his, his first day, he's kind of, you know, learning the ropes. Uh, and so he's trying to figure out, you know, is this, is this you know, really where I belong? Is this going to help? And so everything looks totally normal. So I wanted to show you a little clip from the movie uh, just to refresh your mind if you've never seen it uh, on what the museum looked like when he got there. Go ahead and play the clip. Okay, so remember that? How many of you remember that? Okay, so totally normal. Everything's just there, static in the room. Nothing's really moving. It's a completely normal, ordinary museum. How boring to walk around all night and look at, you know, dead things and pictures and animals that don't move and all that. However, <laughs> so far so good, uh, this is no ordinary museum. At night, when they close, everything in the museum changes and it all comes alive. So take another look at uh, what he discovered once he was the only one left in the building. Remember this? Super cool. Super creepy, too. Just ordinary museum, no problem. Uh-oh. What's that? Does it? That reminds me of Monday at my house. He's a little, little come unglued. Okay, so, so the reason that I showed you that is because I think, it, I think it really illustrates the difference in a label and a metaphor. Now, I'll get a little literary on you here, or grammatical. But a word is a label for something like there's a boat, there's a car, there's a toy, there's a TV. It's, it's, it's a label for something. We can give something a label, but not be involved in it. It's over there. It's apart from us. It doesn't affect us. But a metaphor is more than a label. A metaphor both is and is not what it names. So, so maybe you've heard, the, um, heard of the song by Rascal Flatts, Life is a Highway, right? How many of you heard of that? Life is a Highway. All right, some of you just aren't going to play no matter what I ask. How many of you aren't going to play no matter what I ask? Okay, great. Appreciate you playing them. Life is a Highway by Rascal Flatts. And you hear that and you go, okay, wait a minute. 
That's sort of a metaphor, right? Because life's not really a highway. It's not asphalt and painted lines and speed limit signs. But in another way, life really is a highway. I mean, you can go too fast. You can go too slow. There are opportunities. There's dangers. And this is what metaphors do. They're different than labels. They're words that explode. Now, the reason that I'm telling you that is because uh, these, these labels are like the museum in the daytime. Metaphors are like museum in the nighttime when everything comes alive. I can't just sit back and watch. I am pulled into the action. So Jesus used a lot of metaphors. Because he wants us not just to sit back and watch, but to be pulled into the action. Now, Jesus was a teacher. Jesus was a carpenter. Jesus was a leader. All those are labels. We can, as a leader, there's a carpenter, there's a teacher. No big deal. It doesn't, I can observe that, I can acknowledge that, and not really be pulled into it. But Jesus used a lot of metaphors to help us understand God. That's what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. Jesus used these seven metaphors that start with the word I am, and he said, I am the bread of life. You mean he's like a loaf of bread? He's actually like a piece of bread, a loaf of bread? Well, that, remember, that's what a metaphor is. It both is and isn't. Well, how does, that, how does that pull us into the action? Jesus is the bread of life. Are you hungry? See, now, now, now it pulls you in. Jesus said, I am the gate. Do you want to be in on what God's doing? Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Can you see? Can you really see? Can you really have vision to see what's really going on around you and in you and in the lives of those next to you and in the world? Can you really see? See, that's a metaphor. I am the good shepherd. Do you hurt? Where do you hurt? You have a shepherd who cares about you. I'm the true vine. Are you really alive? Are you, I mean, is your life, are you living the abundant life Jesus came to give you? That's what I am the vine. It's a metaphor. It's a word that explodes. So before we look at today's metaphor, I just want to remind us why it's important to get a clear picture of who Jesus is. Here's the reason. When we get Jesus right, we get our faith right. Jesus is the clearest picture of God we have. And usually every misunderstanding we have about Christianity or faith or God comes from a misunderstanding about Jesus. So it's critical to our faith journey that we get a clear picture of who Jesus is. And that's exactly what we've been doing in this series for the last few weeks. We've been saying, push out of your mind what everybody else says about Jesus Push out of your mind everything you've ever heard about Jesus and just look into the Bible and let's read what Jesus said about himself. That's the clearest picture we can gain. Now, the metaphor we're going to uh, look at today doesn't even sound really like a metaphor. It looks more like a label. John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So way, truth, and life sounds more like labels or titles than it does metaphors. Now, this verse is difficult for us, especially the part where he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. That verse will generally 
cause one of two reactions in you depending on who you are. You'll take it one of two ways. Either you'll take it in sort of a compassionless way. Jesus is the only way. Everybody else got to get over it. Or you'll take it sort of a little muddy. Christianity's too narrow-minded. How can all other religions really be wrong? But what I want to do this morning is I want to give you the backstory to these verses because it will help us understand why Jesus grabbed this metaphor, why he grabbed this exploding word and shared it. When Jesus said these words, he was not talking to a large mixed audience. So that, that changes how we hear what he said. He was talking to a very small group of disciples in private. They were in the upper room where Jesus had shared, was sharing communion for the final time just hours before he was beaten and crucified on the cross. There was no crowd. There were no Greeks. There were no Romans. There were no Hindus. There were no Buddhists. There were no Muslims in the room. He was talking to his closest followers. I'm not even sure if Jesus were here this morning, if he would say that statement in this crowd. That's not the context by which he shared it. And if we grab it wrong, we misunderstand what it means. So Jesus had given his closest 12 followers some very hard news. He's telling them, hey, I'm leaving. I know you left your jobs, you left your family, some of you left your hometown, you left, you left every dream that you had to follow me, and this has been great, but I'm out of here. So you can't imagine how earth-shattering this is for them to hear. The words that he spoke right before this way, truth, and life are the words that we often use at a funeral. So let's back up and start there because that's where Jesus started. John 14, 1. Listen to the tone. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't, don't, be, don't be stressed. Don't be afraid. Believe, you believe in God, also believe in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Now, do you see how the tone has changed? Too often we've heard, uh, no one comes to the Father except through Jesus, not to offer people a way to get to Jesus, but to convince people that they're wrong. This is not how Jesus said it. The tone is not correction. The tone is comfort. For those who already know that they're in, but are facing some really difficult news, and they're about to be very confused by what Jesus does next. He's about to die on the cross and leave them. So let's summarize for a minute the backdrop of what Jesus said before we look at his metaphor. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe me. There's plenty of room for you in heaven. I'm going to prepare a place just for you. I'll come back and I will get you. And when I come back and get you, you'll be with me. 
and you already know the way to where I'm going. That's what he said. Now look at John 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And, and, and what, is, what, is Jesus, what is Jesus' answer? Now, we call Thomas Doubting Thomas, and I think that's unfortunate. Because I think that Thomas has gotten a bad rap. In another time period, Thomas might have been known as the best question asker ever. But we label doubt onto him. So G Thomas asked, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do you know the way? So look, he wasn't asking, are Muslims going to heaven? He wasn't asking, are Buddhists going to heaven? He wasn't asking, are Hindus going to heaven? He was asking for himself. <laughs> he wasn't totally sure about how he would know what the way is, so he was asking for himself. Verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So remember what happened. How we know the way? Jesus said, Thomas, Jesus wasn't even talking to everybody. Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So way, truth, and life, what does this mean? Jesus as the truth has gotten a lot of attention. So what I want to do this morning for the last few minutes is I want to focus on Jesus as the way. Now, there's a phenomenal book written just on this one subject. And I would highly recommend it. Eugene Peterson wrote a book called The Jesus Way. Uh, it was one of the sources that I pulled a lot of the information from, a lot of my research for this message. But what does it mean, if, if you want to sink your teeth into something rich and deep, go for it. It's a, it's a phenomenal book. What does it mean when Jesus says, I'm the way? Now this is a really important question because this is where Night at the Museum happens. This is where the metaphor comes alive. Uh, it's easier to talk about something like what truth is, and we can pretend to be objective about that and remove ourselves from the conversation, but sort of talk about it like a journalist. It's something I talk about. Truth is over there. Truth is doing the right thing. It doesn't necessarily have to touch my life, but I can label it and I can identify what it is, but not really be, I can compartmentalize it. See, I, I can, it's my church box or my spiritual box. And let's face it, I got a lot of boxes. But I know what box everything is in. So I think we Americans are at great risk in, in this whole thing about Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way is critical to our faith because we're much more likely to adopt the ways of the world in our doing than in our doctrine, if that makes sense. So you can ask most kids. What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a nurse. I want to be a teacher. I want to be a chef or a fireman or, or, or a doctor or a computer programmer. That's, right? That's pretty easy. That's pretty easy to identify. It doesn't take any skill. It doesn't take any commitment to throw that out there. But when you say, how are you going to become that? 
What are the means by which you are going to become a doctor or a fireman or a computer programmer? What school do you have to go to? How many exams are you going to have to take? What kind of conduct are you going to have to exhibit? What kind of grades are you going to have to get? What's that going to look like? How are you going to pay for college? How are you going to get trained? See, that's a whole different conversation because now you're not talking about the end. You're not talking about some label in the future. You're talking about the way you're going to get there. So Jesus, this is why Jesus as the way is critical. It's much easier to give someone the right answer than it is to do the right thing. So you ask someone, you serve, that's what surveys. I, I remember when I was a youth pastor, I would do these anonymous surveys on what teenagers thought about whatever, and they knew how to give you the right answer, but at the bottom of the survey, I would always ask, have you ever done this or this or this or this, or do you live this way, this way, this way? And it was so interesting on how the answers always contradicted each other. This is the truth. This is how I live. Because Jesus is the truth is something we cannot be too disturbed by, but Jesus is the way. Now that disturbs us. Because we Americans crave results. We lust for them. The ways of the world are a systematic attempt to substitute human authority for God's authority. In our busyness to get things done, we're most vulnerable to take on the ways of the world. This is how you explain a politician who says, yes, I'm a Christian, yes, I'm whatever, evangelical, yes, I grew up Protestant, yes, I believe in the Bible, yes, this, but their policies and their ways don't reflect Jesus' ways at all. Or the business person who has a Christian fish on the side of their truck, but they don't do business in a way that Jesus would do business. They don't treat people in a way, they don't put forth a good product, or they don't do honest work. Or maybe the sports coach who calls every player over after the end of practice and says, now let's all get in here and take a knee and let's pray. And sort of gives homage to Christianity or to Jesus, but the way that coach lives or the way that coach treats people or that coach's priorities doesn't really have very much to do with the way Jesus lived his life. That's how you can explain the difference in the way. We call on Jesus to bless our ways, but Jesus is the blessed way. And so there's a whole different idea here. Unfortunately, many of the ways of the world actually work. They're effective and they're rewarded. So wars are fought and won and wealth is accumulated and elections are won and victories are posted and goals are met and companies grow. But what about the means? What about the way these things are accomplished? In the process, a lot of people get killed or some people become impoverished or marriages are destroyed or children get neglected. We sometimes count this as the cost of progress. All my Christian life, I have observed that we stumble over Jesus as the way much more than we do Jesus as the truth. We want Jesus' truth, but we want to do Jesus' truth. Sometimes we want to do his truth our way. We agree on the end, but not the means. Most church fights don't come over doctrine. They come over philosophy. So we say, I want Jesus, I want to go to heaven, but I'm going to do it my way. 
My spouse knows that I love them. I don't have to show it. I'll treat my family better when my life gets better. I'll serve when I want to. I'll give when I have enough left over. I'll come to church when I have time. I'll treat people with compassion when I can. I'm not inviting anyone to church next week. I found Jesus, and if they're really hungry, they'll find him too. I'll join a life group when I find one that fits me. I'm following Jesus, but I'm going to pursue my own ideas more than anything else because I have a lot to get done. But see, we can't live one way at work and a different way at home and a different way at church. That's where the ways of Jesus come in. The way I follow Jesus is just as important as the Jesus I'm following. Jesus as the way means the way we talk, the way we act, the thoughts we entertain, the way we influence, the way we treat each other, the way we raise our children, the way we read, the way we worship, the way we eat. Do you live Jesus' way? So here's the thing. Christianity has a goal, and I'll just put it up so you can see it. The goal of Christianity comes through salvation. Salvation is the work of God to restore us to wholeness. Salvation is the work of God to restore us to wholeness. Jesus is the way of God to restore us to wholeness. Salvation is the end. Jesus is the means. Jesus is the path and the way. If you only give God part of yourself or try to do Jesus' life your way, how will you ever be restored to wholeness? Colossians 1:19 is such a powerful verse in this in this thought. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. In who? In Jesus. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. How many of you ever heard the phrase, the end justifies the means? Have you heard that? Let me tell you what I think Jesus would say about that. I think Jesus would say the means are more important than the end because the wrong means will lead you to the wrong end. Jesus as the way is not doctrine, it is direction. Which way do I go? How do I do this? So how do you find the truth? Jesus. How do you find eternal life? Jesus. How do you live your life? Jesus. So I've got this thought. I don't know. Maybe you want to write it down. If you could only remember one thing I say today, I hope it would be this. Jesus is the way we get to God, the way God gets to us, and the way we live while we wait on him to keep his promises. Jesus is the way we get to God, the way God gets to us, and the way we live while we wait on him to keep his promises. What are Jesus' promises? Let's look at them one more time. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. There's plenty of room for you in heaven. I'm going to prepare a place just for you, and I will come back, and I will get you, and you will be with me. And you know the way because you know Jesus. And he is the way. So I was thinking this morning, what was Jesus' ways? Like if, if he's the way to God and the way God gets to us, but also the way to live until his promises are fulfilled, what are Jesus' ways? I just, I just want to 
quickly give you this morning four things that I think summarize Jesus' ways. Number one, spiritual disciplines. Jesus lived a life where he participated in spiritual things often because it kept him connected to the Father. So Jesus would pray. He would, he would fast. Have, have you ever fasted? Or when's the last time you fasted? Why not? Jesus did. It was the way Jesus lived his life. We can't claim to follow someone and not live the way they did. He prayed. He fasted. He read the Bible. He, he went to church. He worshiped. He gave. Those were the spiritual disciplines he did. So do you have a quiet time where you can practice spiritual disciplines, spiritual habits, Spiritual things where you can read or study or pray or put worship music on. Or do, you, do you come to church often enough that your spiritual life is strong? Because Jesus did. This is the way he lived. So the second one is small community. Jesus pulled 12 people in and he lived the largest percentage of his life with those 12 people in close relationship. Uh, yesterday, we, we had a, a, a wedding, and Friday night was the rehearsal and the rehearsal dinner. And there was this cool moment in the rehearsal dinner where uh, the bride and groom uh, invited whoever wanted to stand and, and make a comment about you know, the family or whatever. They could say what they want to say. And I was so impressed and so moved and so overwhelmed when I watched these almost all, there were family and then there were almost all 20-somethings who stood and shared one by one what that couple meant to them. And it, and it was incredible stuff, deep stuff. How, you know, three years ago I didn't even know you and we've got to know each other and we've been in a group together, we've been in a small group together and, you know, they named a time when they were encouraged by the person, when they were challenged by the person, when they were down and they were lifted up, when they were going the wrong way and they were pulled back in. And they shared these really, really deep things and mentioned the way that they saw that person grow in faith, their sincerity about God, how they had learned to serve in really powerful ways, how they shared. And, and here's the phrase that I heard over and over and over and over. They mentioned how they did life together. And Jesus had some people that he did life with. They knew him and he knew them. Do you have a spiritual small group of people that you do life with? Who, who are those go-tos? And, and the third thing I saw in Jesus' life was sacrifice and serving. Okay, so Jesus was a carpenter. And if he had been an American, he probably would have franchised out to 12 locations across Jerusalem. Right? His carpenter shop. He would expand it and, you know, all that. But Jesus didn't live for the fulfillment of his own ideas. He lived for what his father wanted. He was regularly giving himself to other people and serving them. So the question I have for you today, as you're following Jesus and you're taking on his ways, whose ideas do you pursue the most, your own or God's? Maybe another question to ask is, when do you serve? Because Jesus lived his life that way. Here's the last one. Compassion to all people. 
So I went through the, new, the Gospels, the four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I wanted to try to find out what kind of people did Jesus show compassion to? You want to do like a great Bible study, do that one. It will, it will, it will move your heart. Here's what I learned. Jesus had compassion on the sick, the poor, the hungry, the curious, a lady whose son died, the spiritually lost, a demon-possessed man, crowds, a whole city, a woman caught in adultery, people who were outside of his culture and his religion. He, he showed compassion to everybody. Are, are there, I shouldn't say are there, who are the people in your life? Who are the people in our society that you have the most trouble showing compassion to? Well, that's Jesus' way. That's how Jesus lived his life. He showed compassion. These four things, best I can tell, are Jesus' ways. So the Bible picks up on this thought in so many places. But one of the most profound, I think, is in Psalm chapter 1. 150 psalms, and the very first one of that incredible songbook, those books start with this psalm. Listen to the words. Verse 1, blessed is the one who does not walk. We're not talking about labels. We're talking about life. We're not talking about what do you believe. We're talking about what do you do. Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take because sinners have ways. We humans have ways. Or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person who follows Jesus and follows Jesus' ways is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Look at verse 6. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. The question, and this is the hardest of all the I am's, like, I picked the wrong Sunday to be out of town. Should have given this to somebody else. This is the hard one. Because it's the one that most confronts us on Monday. We all have a choice. And we have it every day. And we have it many times a day. Not so much on what are you trying to do. How are you going to do it? What way are you going to use to try to get this Jesus life done? What, what way are you using to be successful or get promoted or meet your goals at work or become the husband or wife you're supposed to be or be the mom or dad you need to be or to be the right son or daughter of God that you need to be? What ways are you using? The ways are... Are, are so important. You could be totally trying to do the right thing and do it the wrong way. 
And, it, and it'll change it. It'll change it all. So would you just stand with me this morning? And as we pray today, I, I just I want to ask everyone in the room if you'd find a place you're comfortable, close your eyes, and I want to ask our prayer team if you'd come. Just, just stand in a comfortable place with every eye closed. I just want to talk to you for a minute. And, and I think if, you're, if your eyes are closed, you're going to, maybe it'll help you, maybe it'll help you hear something that God wants to say to you. So, what piece of your life needs to be brought to Jesus? What part of your life are you still doing your way? This is, if you'll ask Jesus, he'll show you because he loves you. Not because he's exclusive or not because he's, you know. This, this whole verse we've misused, it's about comforting the people who are going the right way. It's not about telling the people who are going the wrong way, kicking them out. So this morning, do you have a way that needs to change? Is there a need in your life that you need Jesus' help with? Is there an obstacle that you think is blocking you from walking the right way? Now, now with, with everybody listening, here's, what I want, here's where I want to end. Jesus is the way... But the truth is, you and I cannot live Jesus' life. Go ahead and try to change yourself. Go ahead and try to do the right thing all the time. Go ahead and try. You can't and I can't. Jesus is the way, but the Holy Spirit is the helper. <laughs> so Jesus left and said, I know you can't follow me the way that you should, so I'm going to send a helper who's there to help you. So this morning, do you need the Holy Spirit's help? Do you have a need? Do you have a spot? Do you have something that needs to change? Do you have an obstacle that needs to move? I've got good news for you today. The Holy Spirit is the helper. So if you're in a place that you need the Holy Spirit's help today and you know you need it, you've got to be brave, you've got to be courageous, you've got to be willing to say, I need God's help. But can I tell you, when you say that, it changes everything. Today you will receive. Today you will change. Today things will begin to move. But it starts with you. Do you need the Holy Spirit's help in an area in your life this morning. It's clear to you and you know it. Would you lift your hand and say, today I know I need the Holy Spirit's help with this thing. Come on, just lift your hand. All over the room, just lift it up. Lift it up. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, just lift it up. Yes, yes. I, I can't do this by myself. I've tried. Something needs to change. A circumstance needs to change. I need to change. But I need the Holy Spirit's help. Yes, in the balcony, all over the balcony. Yes, I see your hand. And here's what I want you to do. Our prayer team is here, and they just want to agree with you and pray for you and pray that the helper, the Holy Spirit, is going to help you, and he will. So this morning, if you lifted your hand, 
I want you to come right now and I want you to find one of our prayer team. They don't want anything from you. They're just going to pray for you. This is a safe place. I want you to come right now and I want you to say, you just say, I need the Holy Spirit's help. I got good news for you. That's what he does. That's what he does. He's here to help. Lord, I thank you today that you are the helper. You don't just dictate, you don't just throw this burden on us that we're supposed to be like you. You give us the greatest helper the world has ever known. And so today, we lean in, we draw strength, we receive help from you. We receive life and peace and energy and answers and strength and miracles. We receive them from you today because we need your help to do life your way. Thank you, God, for being the helper today. I thank you for being the helper. So our worship team begins to sing. If you need to come, come right now. We want to pray with you. Let the Holy Spirit meet you where you are. Let the helper meet you.